0: Bless the Lord. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 4, or chapter 6, rather, please. The book of Galatians chapter 6. Praise the name of Jesus. The Lord is doing great things. The Lord is doing wonderful things among us. This evening I want to speak on the Lord helping me. On the title, if I had to entitle it, The Crucified Christ the crucified world, and the crucified Christian. Galatians chapter 6, please. Verse 14, just the one verse. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. And we'll stop there. We know the Lord will add his blessing to his own word. Let us pray. Father, take your word, and Lord, imprint it in every mind and every heart. Inscribe it there tonight. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the challenge of your word this morning. We thank you for the blessing of your word this morning. We thank you for your presence with us. And now we pray, Father, that you would continue to speak continue to move in our midst. We thank you for bringing so many out on a a cold and dreary, a dark, a damp, and a, a dreary night, Lord. But you have brought them here to hear your word that there's none here by accident that you've placed it within their heart to want to even be here. We thank you, Lord, that even in the holiday season coming upon us, you've brought so many out. So, Father... We pray in Jesus' name you would touch every heart. Bless, encourage, strengthen, challenge, and even convict. Just do thine own work and your own will. And glorify your own precious, wonderful, and glorious name. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Amen. Let me just get a wee drink. The apostle says, but God forbid... That I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. In In this one verse, we'll see three things. The crucified Christ. Secondly, we'll see the crucified world. And thirdly, you will see the crucified Christian. The crucified Christ. The crucified world and the crucified Christian. In the book of Galatians, if you read it when you go home, it's only six chapters. Well, it shouldn't take you that long, but the book of Galatians is compiled full of comparisons. we we'll maybe look at one or two of them, but you could do a study every night on each one. Look at the first one in chapter one, verse six. Listen to what the apostle says. He says in chapter one, verse six, but I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ onto another gospel. Notice what the is telling us here for those who are going wayward. Look at what the Apostle says here to the Galatians who trusted in Christ, coming by grace through faith alone. Notice what he says, that when you look at him, the Lord Jesus when you look at him and study him as it were, when you gaze upon him, you realize everything you need is in him you need to look anywhere else you needn't do anything else you can't trust in nothing else everything that we have and all that we need is fixed in Christ and Paul says you were called to the grace of Christ notice the word called by the grace into the salvation of grace. He says, but now you're so quickly removed from him and from his grace to another gospel. Here is the first comparison. And I said, we can't do them all. We'll do one, maybe two. But here is the first comparison in the book of Galatians. And the comparison is this. One is the true gospel and another gospel is the other comparison. The true gospel And another gospel. Notice the true gospel is not a ritual and it's not a ceremony. The true gospel is not a set of rules that one must keep or do. The true gospel is not fixed on regulations. The true gospel is not traditions of men nor denominationalism. It's not in the size of a cathedral or the biggest church building. But the true gospel is not in labors of man's hands nor his works. The true gospel is not in the giving of alms nor the doing of great deeds and charity works. The true gospel is none of these. The true gospel is a person. The true gospel is a man. The true gospel is a person, the Son of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the gospel, and the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. Outside of Him, outside of Christ, there is no gospel. Do you hear that? Outside of Him, there is nothing else, and there is no one else. Outside of Christ, there is no gospel, which means there is no redemption and there's no salvation. And there's no justification and there's no forgiveness of sins. Notice the gospel is not in who we are nor what we can do. Neither is it in what we can attain. The gospel is a person. The gospel is embodied in a man. Notice what Isaiah says, speaking of the coming of the Lord Jesus in Isaiah 32 and verse 2. And a man, notice the words and a man shall be as in hiding place from the wind, a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Notice, in this man, from this man, and through this man that is to come around 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, The prophet says this man would come. How can a man be in hiding place for so many people? How can a man be a shadow of a great rock in a weary land? How can a man be as rivers of water in a dry place? How is it that this simile can work out that a man is? Because the man that we're speaking of is no ordinary man. The man that the prophet's speaking of is the God-man that in him, even in this verse, we see Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit. Notice this. And a man, here is the Son, shall be as in hiding place from the wind and a covert from the tempest. Notice of Jesus again, as rivers of water, rivers speaking of the Holy Ghost, as rivers of water in a dry place. And thirdly, you see him as Father, as the shadow of a great rock, in a weary land, Jesus the man is the shadow of the Father, as it was, as it were. He is God with a face, God manifest in the flesh. So, even in this verse, we see how Almighty God is clothed in flesh in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 54. We're talking of. Uh, we're told of the Lord Jesus is in his own country, it says. His own country was the town of Nazareth. And as he's at Nazareth, he's starting to teach and to preach the kingdom of God. Starting to speak of these glorious things that are beginning to happen and that will come to pass whenever he returns again. But notice this. Through sign and wonder, the people start to look at him. And notice what it says here in Matthew 13 and 54. They ask themselves and among themselves. Whence hath, notice, this man, this wisdom, and these mighty works. Verse 56, they also say, Whence hath this man all these things. In other words, they couldn't look anywhere else. The great ornate temple, and all the scribes of the day, and those who sat studying over the word of the scrolls of the scriptures, couldn't speak like this man. They noticed even those who spoke in the scriptures, the prophets, couldn't speak like this man. They noticed that the wisdom of this man was beyond his years, and the wisdom of this man was beyond their understanding. There is something unique about this man. There is something wonderful about this man. And notice what they said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Whence hath this man all these things? Here's another thing they said about him in Luke 15 and verse 2. Whenever the Lord was speaking to men who were like Zacchaeus up the tree and got into his house and he was a tax collector, he was a, a hated man. He was, they were called publicans then. And he was a hated, he was detested, he was an outcast of society. Nobody wanted him. Nobody wanted him near them. Nobody loved them. Everybody just hated him. These tax collectors, they robbed the people and they took money for themselves and gave to the Romans who were ruling over them. Now these Pharisees came and notice what they said. This man receiveth sinners. This man, the one who went in to the house, the one who sat down to eat, the one who called Zacchaeus out of a tree, the one who went with all the sinners to talk to them, To preach to them who loved them. The one who came and done miracles and signs and wonders among them. They look at him and they say, this man receiveth sinners. Brother, sister, aren't you glad that this man receiveth sinners? Aren't you glad that this man still receiveth sinners? Aren't you glad that this man received Jew when you came and you you came to the foot of the old rugged cross and you bowed under that cross and the shed blood by faith, trusting in the Lord Jesus. Aren't you glad that there's nothing that you've done that he couldn't forgive? That when you hear this man receive sinners, you could sing with the hymn writer, that when he sang that beautiful Wonderful hymn of of how God would receive every sinner that would come. Thou art the sinner's friend, so I thy friendship claim. A sinner sealed by grace when thy sweet message came. Christ still receiveth sinners. And if you don't know Jesus tonight as your Savior, if you're still in your sin without God and without Christ and without hope in this world, I want to tell you you're in the right place because we're told tonight... Jesus still receives sinners tonight praise his name oh he'll receive you with arms open wide he'll receive you and forgive you of all of your sin if you've put your trust in him tonight you see there's none so low that he cannot lift there's none so no sin so great he will not forgive there's no soul so lost that he cannot save. And there's no heart so hurt that he cannot heal. There's none so weary that he cannot revive. For he says, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Here in John chapter 7, we see them speak about him again. Verse 46. The, the, the Praetorium guard go to arrest the Lord. And, and as they're sent out there, they hear him again speak. And what this man speaking is like none other man. And whenever they go to hear him speak, they can't even arrest him. You know why? They get caught up in his words. They get caught up in the power and the anointing of what he's saying. And they forget even what they've come for. They forget their mission. They forget that in their evil heart, they had came to take him by craft. They came to take him by subtlety. And they heard the words of the Lord and they came back saying these words, John 7 and 46, Never man speak like this man. Did you hear that, friend? Never man speak like this man. You know the, the most wonderful and the most beautiful, the most majestic the most soothing and the most comforting and the most peaceful sound you'll ever hear is whenever you got saved and you heard the words of the grace of God and you heard of the blood of the lamb and you heard of him hanging and dying in your room instead and you heard that there's salvation for you if you trust in him and you heard that he'll forgive you of all you've ever did if you put your trust in what Christ has done and you hear the beautiful voice of the saviour he says my My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Never man speak like this man. You see, words of power and words of authority, words of wisdom, words of revelation, words of hope and blessing and vision and joy and instruction and direction, words of conviction and words of convincing, words compelling and words of compassion poured forth from his mouth to people in dire need, looking without hope for salvation, for they sat in darkness. And know oh, a nation that sits in darkness tonight, if we would take the words of this Bible and take the words of this Savior and preach unto the dry bones of Britain, you know what you'll find? He will say, can these bones live? You'll say, Lord, I knowest. Speaking the word, he says, prophesy unto the bones and they shall live. And men and women dead in their trespasses dead in their sins and lifeless without Christ, began to live at the word of God and the spirit moving among them. And all oh, we hear, never man speak like this man. Isaiah says he's coming. Jeremiah points and says he's coming and Ezekiel says he's coming. Hosea said he's coming. All the prophets, Amos says he's coming and we'll go on and we'll go on. Even Daniel saw him rising up after the resurrection to take a kingdom from his father. they say, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And Jesus steps on the scene and never man speak like this man. He says, I, I am come. I am come. To him give all the prophets witness, pointing to the son of God. This man, he says, never man spake like this man. John 11 and 47, the chief priests and the scribes. Notice what they say about him. It says, this man, here it is again. This man doeth many miracles. Do you not think if they'd have seen that, they'd have fell at their knees and says, oh, you must be God. How hard can your human heart be? How, how hard can the man and the woman get when they even see God divinely moving in power and majestic glory in the midst, and whether it is in Jesus' day or through his spirit and then his church today, when they stand back and they say, yes, something's happening, but I'll tell you what, I don't want it. I don't want him. We reject the Christ of God. We reject the moving of the spirit. He does miracles. Leave that up to Donna i'm Sure, leave it there. For wants said, "Let's embrace what God is doing. Let's embrace the Word of God. Let's embrace the move of God. Let's embrace the power of His Spirit." Notice Hebrews three and verse three. Notice what it says of Jesus. It says, this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Moses, the man who stood before Pharaoh. Moses, the man who spoke to the burning bush in the wilderness. Moses, the man who wrought the great miracles and the plagues in Egypt. Moses, the man who says, by the blood of the Lamb shall you come forth in redemption. Moses, the man who saw the very Red Sea open at the raising off his rod and brought them through upon dry land. Moses, the man who saw manna in the morning and and quail in the evening and water out of a flinty rock, Moses, the man who saw great sign and wonder and talked with God as a man talketh with God, a man with a man face to face. Moses, the man who saw the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. This man who is held up and revered. This man, Moses, we're told of the man Jesus. This man, Jesus, we're told. In Hebrews chapter 3 and 3, he' was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. The word here is his character. is greater than Moses' character. When we speak of him, speak greater of Jesus than we do of Moses. There's only one worthy to take the highest place, and it's this man, Jesus. That's the idea. He is counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Moses built the house building it in Israel. But Jesus was the builder of the house. He was the power of the house. Hebrews 7 and 24 says, But this man, because he continueth forever, continueth ever half an unchangeable priesthood, the risen, glorified Lord Jesus, he has a priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood, not the Aaronic priesthood, Aaron and his sons, but the Melchizedek priesthood, the one who met Father Abraham in the way and gave him tithes of bread and the wine and so on. That one, he says, he's ascended into heaven and he is standing before the Father in heaven and he is interceding for you and for me and he's praying for you, brother, and he's praying for me. And whenever you think, well, you know, nobody's praying for me, there's always someone praying for you. And when the pastor forgets, and when the elders forget, and when the Christian forgets, and when your friends forget, and when the family forgets, and when you think everyone has forgotten, there's a man in the glory who will never forget. And his name is Jesus. This man, he says. So a great high priest, the man in the glory, there for me, the Savior stands. He shows his wounds and spreads his hands, said the hymn writer. Here we have the man in the glory. Listen, Hebrews, again, chapter 10 and verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, take note, sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Now, there's a whole minefield in there. I could do a series on that verse in itself. Notice what it says here But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins. Here it is, Jesus dying on the cross for you. One sacrifice. The priests came and they offered sacrifice after sacrifice unto God. And the fire of the altar in the temple was to keep on smoldering and burning up toward heaven. But here we're told when Christ cried from the cross, it is finished. It meant it was pet and full in the very... The veil of the temple was rent and twain from the top to the bottom, giving us free and full access into the presence of Almighty God. And notice what it says: But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, for how long? Forever. Brother, listen, sister, when we're hearing a lot of things all over the place today. We're hearing a lot of things that are not in the scriptures today. And Christians are taking them on board. And Christians are eating them up. And Christians are drinking it in. And Christians are believing it. And they're looking in another direction. And they're thinking of other things. It says that this man's sacrifice for sins was once and it was forever. There's no other sacrifice but the cross of Christ. There's none else. There's nothing else. Including that which is looking for a rebuilt Jewish temple to offer sacrifices, there's no other sacrifice. But the sacrifice has already been made on Calvary's tree. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus said, why should as white snow. And here we're told we're going to look for another direction and we're going to look for something else. And we're going to set up some other sacrifice, sacrificial priesthood. Listen, the Mechizedek priesthood was a priesthood forever. The Mechizedek priesthood wasn't just for a period of time. It was forever. The Aaronic priesthood has been done away with in Christ. The very sacrifices and oblations have been done away with in Christ. There's no other means, there's no other method, there's no sacrifice nor blood of bulls or goats or lambs or heifers. There's no sacrifice of blood of pigeons or turtle doves nor any other means and method. It's only in the blood of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus only. Remember an old preacher once saying, People call me a bloody preacher. He says, Yes, I'm just blood, 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 the blood of Jesus and nothing else. Here it says, This man after we had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, he sat down. Now, when you're finished your work, what do you do? You sit down. You sit down. And the idea here is that he said it is finished, pet and fool. There's nothing else to add, it's all in him. And you sit down, you're finished. He went into glory, and it means he sat down in the right hand of God. Now, God hasn't got a little right hand as you have. The right hand of God in the Bible means when you see God move in power and then wonder and then glory. The right hand of God means the place of power and supreme authority. And Jesus said as he was ascended into heaven all power is given unto me where? In heaven and on earth. And what we'll see is the son of man coming with power and great glory and he will just spread the skies and as far as we can see to one side of the heavens to the other myriads of angels will come and fill the skies with great and praise with a war cry for all those who knew that God and all men will stand before the judgment seat of God. Don't you be fooled by thinking there's another way that is by what you can do by a religion or anything else this Bible distinctly tells us tonight and we're told to water this down it's not politically correct now to say that Jesus is the only way. We're all on a road up toward the top of the mountain. We're all going around together. Let's ecumenize and get together, whether you're a Protestant or a Romanist or whatever you are. Let's even bring in Islam and Christianity, and you call it Christlam now. And they're starting to worship together, Islam and Christianity, and they call it Chrislam. By the way, Rick Warren, see if he's got his big purpose-driven life Throw it in the bin. Get rid of it. That man is an apostate. And he's, he's, he's promoting Islam. He's bringing Islam right into Christianity. And now he's moving in with the Pope of Rome. And he's bringing in Romanism as well. And the Pope of Rome old, that old Jesuit that sits in the seat of Antichrist. I'm getting excited about this now because I, I see it all over the place and these gullible Christians are all saying, oh no, there's going to be a man that's going to come and that can't be him. He's a nice man. Do you not see him? He gets the bus to work. <laughs> that's what they're saying. He sits on the seat of Satan. Hello? Hello? Do you know the Vatican sitting on the hill of Vaticanus? Do you know what it means? The hill of divination. The Lord says, I know where Satan's seat is. That's another story. And do you see all the harlot, all the harlot daughters that the great scarlet harlot whore of Rome are bringing together with them? Do you see all those harlot daughters they'll die with the whore. Read the book of Revelation. These Protestant apostates, they'll die with her. Saved by grace alone. This is all my plea. Brothers and sisters, I have nothing else. I have nothing else to offer you but the gospel of grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And By the way, I need nothing else to offer you but the gospel of saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Coming into the new year, I'm going to show you, I'll see if I can get it up on screen for you to prove to you. I have rings of stuff now of so-called Pentecostals. Listening, big Pentecostal ministries. Shame on them. Shame on them. They're going and they're bowing their knee for the Pope to bless them. Shame on you. They're going to take the Mass with them as well. Shame on you. John Wycliffe, Morning Star of the Reformation. Martin Luther. Think of John Calvin. Think of all of those men. We think of those who gave their lives at the fires of Smithfield. who were burned at the stake for they were saying that the mass was not the real presence of Christ. It was the way for God, the host of Rome. And know they said? Tie them to the stake and burn them alive. <laughs> and Christians now they are saying, but sure we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, man. Let's all get together and have a an knees up. What the Bible says, wherefore come ye out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing saith the Lord I will be a God unto you hallelujah hallelujah this man has offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down in the place of authority and he's coming back with great power and glory it's going to open the skies. Paul's amazement and his shock came to see these Galatians. He says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him. Am I speaking to someone in the Word this morning? I don't need to open up this anymore. Get the CD, download it on the app or wherever you're on, and get the CD. And listen to what Mark brought this morning. Are you so far removed from him, so quickly removed? Things have come your way and removed you from Christ. How can we, when we look at him in these scriptures, how can we be so soon removed from him? Paul says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ, onto another gospel. And Paul's amazement and his shock was this. How could anyone who has ever received from him, so soon be removed from him. That's what Paul's saying. Have you truly, brother, sister, friend, listen to me, have you truly, honestly, received from him? If you have, you can't be so soon removed from him. Because he's all you'll ever have. And he's all your heart's desire. And there's nothing else in a man that will desire Christ more than the very spirit of a man who has met with him. G. Austin Miles wrote that old hymn. He speaks and the sound of his voice is so sweet that the birds hush their singing and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known. He's lovely. He's beautiful. He's altogether lovely. Jesus, we worship you. Oh, Jesus, we exalt your name. We praise you, Jesus. The former Martin Luther, listen to this quotation. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to quote this. I'm going to round this up, and we're going to praise for a while before we go home. Just send some here. Gary, get your thinking cap on, would you? Praise the name of the Lord. There's a lovely sense of the anointing of the Lord here. And excuse the expression, but let's take advantage of it. The former Martin Luther said, listen to this, folks. It's mentioned again this morning this, and this is what Christians don't understand. And awful of them, yes, oh, well, I trusted Jesus. No, listen, you need to know exactly who he is and who you are in him, what he's done for you. The cross was everything. The cross was everything. Did you hear me? Everything. All your sin was in him. All your shame was in him. All your failures were in him. Your very rotten old human nature and mind was in him. All our misdeeds were in him. Your sicknesses were on him. Everything that is not of God were placed on him. And the father poured out his anger and his fury and his wrath upon him. The father poured it upon his son and his son cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He took it for me. He took it for you. He paid it all. He paid everything. A former Martin Luther says this. Christ took our sins And the sins of the whole world. As well as the father's wrath on his shoulders. And he has drowned them both in himself. So that we are thereby reconciled to God. And become completely righteous. I want to say it again and please get it into you for it's truth. It's truth of a man's words, but based on the Holy Scripture. He said, Christ took our sins and the sins of the whole world, as well as the Father's wrath on his shoulders. Notice? And I thought this was absolutely tremendous. I've read this a hundred times and rejoiced at it. And he has drowned them both in himself. I wish I'd have written that. You know how he could drown them both in self, our sins and the Father's wrath? Because he is a man, yes, but because he is eternal. And eternity has no end and it cannot be filled. And he has taken it all. You see, it took eternity to save you. It took eternity to pay your sin and your debt and mine. And since he is eternity eternity, and since he is eternal, then surely when we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying for the eternal to come in to this temporal that we may display it upon the world. And he has drowned them both in himself so that we thereby are thereby reconciled to God and become completely righteous. Oh, I'm just trying to be a good Christian. I'll come off it, brother. Yes, we try. Yes, we walk. Yes, we trust. Yes, we do all those things. But you don't try and be a good Christian. You just live yourself. You live your life out in Christ. Gary, would you come up on the team? We'll worship for a few minutes. There's a sense of God here. Do you know I have about another five pages to go? And we'll do it in another week or two. We'll see what happens. That was the introduction to the sense crucified Christ, the crucified world, and the crucified Christian bless his name you know whenever whenever we think of it deeply there's nothing you can do there's nothing I can do to be saved other than to be saved by grace to believe in him you don't clean yourself up you just come to him and there's nothing you can do to make the Lord love you anymore than what he does right now brother struggling friend did you hear that there's nothing else that you can do to make God love you any more than he does right this minute. But there's things we can do to be pleasing in his sight. Let's worship him for a while. That's the Lord. Thank you, guys.